Good morning, everyone. Today's New Testament reading is Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people of Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Simon. How are you going? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> great. Someone's great. Uh, that's great. Uh, we're going to kick off our series on Firm Foundations and, we're, and this passage that we just read from or heard from uh, is what we're focus on, focusing on this morning. I want to encourage you, as I'm sure you've been encouraged a thousand times in this church, to have a Bible with you. Uh, bring it with you. If it's, if it's on your phone, use that and, and turn off um, social media. Uh, if, you've, if you're able to bring a hard copy of a Bible, that's fantastic. A re really great way and an initiative that you would uh, promise yourself uh, to invest in hearing the Word of God and focusing on what, it, what He has to say. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us all right now. Lord God, thank you for your Word. And uh, as it's already been read, I pray, Lord, you'd help us to meditate on the words there. Help us to see the truth. Help us to uh, be willing to uh, listen intently and change where we need to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I suppose you've heard the saying before to uh, put the cart before the horse. Uh, it's a really good, vivid image of getting things in the wrong order, of putting, uh, you know, when you put the cart before the horse, you're expecting the, what, the cart to pull the horse along? That's not how it works, does it? No, when you put the cart in front of the horse, the cart goes nowhere, the horse looks at you and, and you look like an ass. Uh, and you get it all wrong. And, and this happens time and time again in life when, when we think we know what we want to achieve and we focus on the ends rather than the reason or the why or the method. It's a bit like having a bowl of wooden fruit on your table at home that looks lovely. It's a beautiful looking shiny bowl of fruit. It just looks tasty, but it has no substance to it. It's empty. It's just a bit block of wood or porcelain or whatever it's made of. It's not really there. Um, why on earth you're doing that, I don't know. Um, but when we put the, the cart before the horse, in things in life, we can get things really screwed up, and even more so when we do this in church. When we get our focus on the wrong thing, it can really be devastating for a church as a whole and for individual Christians. In our series in Colossians, as Jason said, we're going through what we're calling firm foundations, and we're, we're literally just reading through the book of Colossians and picking out what, listening to what, a, what the Apostle Paul wants to say to a a new church, a young church who has heard the gospel and now what do they need to hear next? What's the next thing that they should, 
that you should be listening to. Uh, when we get things wrong in church and we focus on, on the wrong thing, it can go devastating. And so we want to listen to what Paul has to say to a, an upcoming church. Uh, Jason also read from chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, which is quite clearly a very crucial uh, moment in the book of Colossians. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, I'll read it again. It says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your life in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. If we were to put the cart before the horse, then we would strive to be more thankful, to be more loving, to be more anchored and more built up and more faithful, but we would be then asking, thankful for what? Built up in what? What is it that we need to focus on? You see, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in your relationship, with, as you grow in your Christianity, it's essential that you don't think of it as a self-building exercise. We don't want to focus on the building project. Our project is to embrace what God has already done. I want, to, I want that to sink in, that our project is not to build up something new, fresh and exciting. Our project is to embrace what God has already done. And so the starting point for us in our series is to truly understand the grace of God, to truly understand the grace of God. And if we, if we miss the grace of God, then we will get it wrong. If we misunderstand the implications of the grace of God, then we'll get it wrong. And so it's really important for us today to stop and think, what is God's grace? And why is it so important? Have a, have a look. Uh, my first point is that God's grace turns sinners to saints. God's grace turns sinners to saints. Have a look at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. What a wonderful message that Paul has to the church. Do you see what the message says in that very last sentence? The message from God the Father is grace and peace to you. That's, that's, that is wonderful. The, the, the letter opens up with uh, not a to-do list of here's what you've got to do, here's what you've got to get right, here's what you're getting wrong. Now the, the message right up front is grace and peace, not from Paul alone, but as he speaks on behalf of God himself. And he speaks to, in verse 2, he speaks to a church in Colossae who he calls God's holy people. If you were to use a different translation like the ESV, you'd, you'd, you'd read to the saints in Colossae. That is, a, that is a fantastic, bold claim. Paul hasn't even met them yet, but from a distance he knows, and we'll discover in a minute why he knows this, he, he knows that as he's speaking to this foreign community that he's speaking to not sinners, but saints. Have you ever thought of yourself as a saint? As you've come to Christ, have you ever actually thought of yourself as Saint David, Saint Leanne, Saint Sean, Saint Barry? Have you ever thought of that? You know, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? I wonder why it's remarkable for us to think that. I wonder if it's because we've bought the lie, a heresy, that you don't become a saint until you're dead and gone, and people on earth then vote as to whether you have been good enough to be sainted. 
That's a terrible lie. It is a terrible lie. No, what, when Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, you are saints. You have been redeemed, brought back to life. You have been set free. You are righteous. You can stand upright before God right now because you've heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul, of all people, knows the greatness of the grace of God. Verse 1 says that Paul is an apostle, a sent one, a messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Do you know what? When we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, we know him as a church hater. It's the very first thing we, we discover is that he's holding a pile of clothes for the executioners while they put Stephen, St. Stephen, to death. And he's there approving of it. And then he goes on with papers in his hand from the important people in Jerusalem, the Jews uh, who have not uh, um, accepted Christ as Lord. He's, he's got the official notice. He's a messenger of that church to go out and excommunicate or execute um, people who have adopted Jesus as their Lord. He's a messenger of, against Christ. But when he, as you know the story, in Acts chapter 9, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and suddenly, it, 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 it's quite a sudden transformation, he realises the penny drops that Jesus isn't the enemy. Jesus is Lord. What a, what a massive change in a man's life to move from someone who thinks meh about Jesus or even worse, I hate this guy, to you know what, I love this guy. He is what the whole universe is wrapped up in. And so Paul has been moved from what he thinks is a righteous position into now a truly righteous position because he's no longer the sent one from the church, he is the sent one from God himself. To proclaim not himself and not what you ought to do, but that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saviour. And so follow him. What a beautiful way to begin the letter. And the beginning of the letter reminds us that the, God, that the grace of God turns sinners to saints, it is complete. It's a 100% effective thing. But the second thing we notice as we get on to verse 3 is that God's grace means that God did this. That it's not you and me that, do, that does this. It's that God does this. Let me uh, read to you from verses 3 and 4. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. Did you hear the two things that Paul has heard about this church, their reputation, and he's heard two things. One of them is that they have put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what qualifies them as a church of Christ, that they've put their faith in Jesus Christ. He's not talking to just a religious group. He's not just talking to a, a club. He's talking to a, a group of people who individually and collectively have put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he's heard. And so therefore they are a church. And the second thing he hears is of their love for one another. They've become a community who love one another. But, and here's the important piece of information, but he doesn't celebrate them. He celebrates God. He says, we always thank God. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard about your faith and your love. It's, it's a wonderful reality to know that when we see someone who's put their faith in Christ, we know that God has done that. 
that God is working in that person's life. When we see a church who is opening the scriptures and not just reading the Bible, but actually seeing Jesus in the scriptures, we can see a a church that the spirit of God is at work in, is alive and active. The the church in Colossae is part of God's family now. They're not just a man-centered community. And Paul celebrates that God's doing business there. He hasn't even been there yet. When he, when he writes this letter to the Colossians, he, he's never visited that place. But he knows it, of its existence. And so, friends, loving one another, he, he notices that they're a loving community, but loving one another was not how they became a church. It was from hearing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that they became a church and began to love one another. We love love. If, you've, if you're a Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan, you know, Terry loves love. Uh, but we love love, and uh, the world that we live in loves love. It's not, it's not a dirty word. It's, a, it's an excellent word. The trouble is that our world, and we by nature, don't really understand love. It, it, it's clear, I think, when you watch any drama that's published and put out on our media channels, that love comes on the basis of whether you love me. If, if you love me and I love you, then there's love, and let's let that flourish. But the gospel says that's not deep enough love. The gospel says that if you hate me, I'm going to love you anyway. And so in 1 John 4, verse 10, we, we read, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That is what established the church in Colossae. And that's what establishes our church in Cameltown. Not that we are loving or that we even loved God first, but that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is the love that we understand and embrace. And so here in the gospel uh, is what the church did, and it changed their world. And so my third point is that God's grace, it must be truly understood, it must be truly heard, and it must be truly understood. And this is where I think the, the, the pointy part of, of this talk comes. Have a look at verses 5 and 6, where, what he says there. The faith and love that he sees, he, he, he's observed or heard about from them, the faith and love that spring from what? It springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now I'm doing my best to avoid the the noisy cockatoos out there. Uh, I'm sure you're doing the same thing too. Uh, But they, they received the gospel, they heard the true gospel and they truly understood that gospel here's where i want to focus on here now the first thing is that they truly they that they heard the true gospel now picture this what happens when you read the book of acts uh, you watch the journey of paul how he traveled around and the towns that he visited in and where he was and you pick up uh, word uh, names like epaphras who we find here in chapter one and we hear about him a little bit later in the book as well in colossians and we piece a bit of information together what you get what you get is this this story you get the story of God who created all, the whole world, who loved the world so much that would not allow sinners to, go get, uh, to be let off scot-free, nor 
to be left damned in their state. But that God saw this world and sent, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world to save sinners. Jesus came and appeared amongst us. Uh, he, he walked and talked with his disciples. He showed them, he, he spoke about the kingdom of God and even told the disciples ahead of time that they're going to go to Jerusalem and, they, and he's going to get nailed to a cross. But three days later, he's going to rise to life again. Jesus predicted that. And guess what happened? Exactly what Jesus predicted. The, the, the Jews nailed him to a cross. The Romans nailed him to, cro to a cross. But three days later, he rose to life again. And when he rose to life again, he was seen by many witnesses. Hundreds of people saw the risen Lord Jesus. And he spoke to them and taught them from the Old Testament scriptures, from the Jewish text, why he had to do this, why he had to suffer. That he was pierced for our transgression. For, because of our iniquity, he was punished. And so when he would die on the cross, it wasn't just a tragic death. It was to pay the penalty that you and I deserve. And when he rose to life again, it was a, to prove that this was a job well done. That God, to put it crassly, God gives this the thumbs up. It's the thumbs up of approval from God. That this is sins paid for. Sinners made saints through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus rose from, from, from the dead, he spoke this to the disciples. He said to the disciples, now I want you to go and make more disciples. Tell the whole world about this. Don't stop anywhere. Go as far as you can and tell every single person on the planet because this is a gospel not just for the Jews or for Christians. It's a gospel for everyone who lives on planet Earth, maybe even beyond. Uh, but let's just stick to Earth. Let's not get into science fiction. Uh, but this is to go to all the ends of the Earth and teach everyone that who is Lord? Not you, not me. But Jesus Christ is Lord. Let everyone know this and that he is saviour. Now one time, and then Paul became an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he came in his journey to rest in a town called Ephesus. You were going to say Colossae, but it's Ephesus. He came to rest in Ephesus. He stayed there for a couple of years, preaching the gospel day in, day out to anyone who would hear it. And one time, we don't know exactly when, but one time a little man named Epaphras listened to this message with his own ears, watching this little man, Paul, speak about such great things about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Epaphras heard this and presumably inquired about it and, and prodded and asked questions and, and, and examined what he was being taught. And Epaphras, convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord, got on his horse and cart putting the horse before the cart, and travelled back to Colossae and he told his, his town friends and family that he has heard about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Lord of all and the Saviour of all. Let me tell you what I heard from Paul. And he doesn't change the story. He doesn't somehow make it so that he is the leader of this church, that he is the only one who owns this message no, Epaphras is nothing in this journey. Jesus is everything. And he tells the church, this is, this is the good news. And so, some, one way or another, a little church emerges in the town of Colossae. And Paul hears about this. And what does he hear? He hears about their faith in Jesus and their love for one another, which has sprung up from the hope that they have for eternal life. The message is, has not been changed for 2,000 years. It's not a different message that we hear today to the one that Epaphras heard when he sat uh, um, probably not COVID distanced away, probably a crammed room, listening to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it amazing 
The very same message that changed the life of Epaphras is the very same message that changes the life of you and me and your neighbour. It's fantastic. The gospel needs to be truly heard, not twisted, not changed, not added to, not subtracted from. Some people have a problem just with this, this where you know, we have to stop right here, and some people have a problem with this, that, Simon, are you, are you trying to convince me that we, we have the words of eternal life like no one else does? Well, I'm not quite saying that. It's, it's, it's open source knowledge, you know, but I am saying that we do have the words of eternal life, and it is only through Jesus Christ, and that the words of the Scripture are trustworthy. So my challenge to you, if, if you are someone who says, yeah, but, you know, that the, the, the scriptures are corrupt, they've been copied wrong, we've been hoodwinked. If that is your sticking point, then I want to challenge you to investigate it. Can I tell you that if you're not willing to investigate it, then you're willing to buy that lie? And I want to tell you that, it's, that, that we can trust the scriptures. But I want to move on to this next, next sub-point. We're still under the point that God's grace must be truly heard, but it also needs to be truly understood. Let me, let me just run through this. You see in verse 6, Paul says that you not only heard the, the true gospel, but you truly understood God's grace. This tells me that we need to have engaged minds as we hear the scriptures. As we hear the message of Jesus, we need to engage our minds and, and understand it. Turn it upside down in every angle and ask, what, how does this impact the way that I do business, the way that I run my family, the way that I do life, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my anxiety. How does it affect all of this? And if we have not understood the, the gospel, then we'll quickly look past it. I think there are two things that we can run into a problem with. Number one could be that we don't actually believe that we need God's grace. We, we misunderstand God's grace because, first of all, perhaps we don't really, we're not really convinced that I really need God's grace. I mean, that guy over there does. That guy, I didn't mean to point at you, Jason. Uh, that guy over there does. But, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. It's a very Australian attitude towards religion is that she'll be right. You know, don't worry about it. Just be a good bloke. Give a fair share uh, to everyone. And, uh, and when you meet God, he'll be fine. He's a good bloke. But, friends, that's, we need to get to know God first. That is an atrocity to, to put God in a corner like that and to presume that we would just understand who God is without even listening to him first. But friends, the Bible describes those who have not put their trust in Jesus in a number of ways. One, it says if you've not put your trust in Jesus, then you're living in darkness. It says if you've not put your trust in Jesus, then you are dead in your trespasses and sins, not alive in Christ. It says that if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, I think this is the hardest one, that you are a God-hater. That sounds a bit hard to swallow, doesn't it? But if you've not actually heard and responded to the one, the one whom God loves the most, then we don't really care anything about God. And he means nothing to us. And so the Bible says that actually in, in Romans 3.23, for example, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. It says in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, that if you... Uh, if you believe that you're without sin, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. It says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think that is just enough proof that if, if, 
if we could be right with God in any other way other than Jesus dying on the cross, don't you think God would have done that? But no, we all need a saviour, and his name is Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the first problem we, we, we run into when we don't truly understand grace is that we don't feel like we need God's grace, but we need his forgiveness. And the second problem is that we don't believe that God's grace is enough, that, that God's mercy shown to us at the cross isn't enough to save me that I need, to, I need to work harder at my prayer life, at my Bible reading, at my church attendance, at my ministry at the church, at my giving to charity, at my all this stuff. We have to keep working, working, working because I, I just hope that one day God will accept me. When we don't, we haven't really understood God's grace. That at the cross, he turns sinners to saints. That it's all his work and not ours. And to misunderstand grace is perhaps to, to see that God to think little of God, to think much of us and little of God. The good news is that Jesus is enough. Here's, here's a trustworthy saying. It comes from 1 Timothy 1. I wonder if you can pick the end of this memory verse. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Is that the end of the sentence? There's another line. There's something else at the end of that memory verse. Let me read it to you again. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, full attention, full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and Paul added, of whom I am the worst. Paul regarded him to be the worst sinner of all, and yet Jesus died and saved him. I've heard someone say that this is the one verse that they disagree with in the Bible. That, that Paul isn't the worst sinner. <laughs> it's, it's someone else. In Colossians, in the book that we're reading, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Do you just feel that blunt, objective statement? Our illegal, our, what does it say? Our, our legal indebtedness, the charge of our legal indebtedness. That is a, that's the language that says, look, it doesn't matter how you feel or how God feels, we're guilty before him. And yet it says, having cancelled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he, that is Jesus, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It's beautiful, isn't it? That forgiveness comes through the death of Christ on the cross. Now, we, 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 what I've said here about misunderstanding the gospel is that we must not overthink ourselves and feel like we don't need grace, and we must not underthink God and believe that he is not good enough. He is not powerful enough to save. Romans 1 says that you know, I, I, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. This message that we hear with our ears is the power of God. You might go from church to church looking for some kind of power of the Spirit. Well, the power of the Spirit is the message of the gospel. That is the power of God, which brings dead people to life let's wrap this up right because what is the firm foundation what is it that we're supposed to stand on i said at the beginning that our project is not to build something great our our project is to embrace the great thing that god has built and if we embrace the gospel keep our focus on that then we are putting the horse and the cart in the right order but if we look to building a church or if we look at things like our prayer life, our Bible reading, how, how we conduct ourselves at work, at family, in church, how we even uh, regard Jesus, if we start with all those things as the 
agenda, then we will get it wrong. But if we start with the grace of God, that a loving creator of the world would send his one and only son so that you could be called a child of God. That, that is the glorious truth. And so we end with, really, Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Let's be a church that remembers Christ, that embraces who he is and what he has done, and all the more getting to know him more and more. And only by doing that will we see our church overflowing with thankfulness in good God-centered ministry in, in Christian prayer, uh, which we'll look at next week. And uh, I'm going to close by praying and committing this, this sermon series, uh, The Firm Foundations, to, um, to God's glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we can call you Father on the basis of what Christ has done for us. Please, Lord, protect us from uh, misrepresenting the gospel. Please protect us from mishearing the gospel. And please, Lord, protect us from misunderstanding the gospel. We thank you for Jesus Christ, and we pray that we will be a church who puts our faith in him and that he will be our firm foundation forever. And we pray for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.